Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and we're going to have another great show today. Our guest today has almost 14 years experience in the food and beverage industry. She's got strong cross-functional leadership skills with an emphasis on problem solving and team development. She's currently a business change manager at Gordon Food Service. Please welcome Danielle Simic. Hello, Danielle. Hi, thanks for having me today. Thank you for being here. I'm really excited about the conversation that we're going to have today because we had uh, a couple of, of preparatory calls uh, leading into today and uh, really looking forward to uh, some of the things we're going to talk about. I do want to start the show as we always do and ask you what you think is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today. Yeah, so I was thinking about this one a little bit um, and it, there's layers to it, I think. So um, for me, it comes down to right now, I think it's the people being able to get people in to fill the jobs and which then in turn causes so many different problems, right? Which then in turn may turn into time being a problem for them to be able to adapt to different changes because they're just trying to to serve their customers. And so I really think it boils down to this problem that most companies are having with these frontline workers is just trying to get enough people in to fill the spots to be able to satisfy the amount of volume and work coming in. You know, we've heard that from some of our customers in our day, day business and um, also other guests in the podcast that there's a massive impact to those who are currently working when so many positions adjacent to them are currently unfilled. Yes. And so frontline supervisors and managers who normally should be primarily in a leadership role are actually having to run routes and work the shop floor and, and you know, do the job that they are essentially supposed to be leading. But because there are so many vacancies, everybody's having to uh, put in extra hours and, and work additional time. Yeah, definitely leading to exhaustion from many different things. And then you try and put change on top of that, which isn't always a simple thing, right? So yeah, <laughs> layering that and it just starts to perpetuate out into different areas. In your organization, have you still been trying to push out new technology solutions during this time of, of COVID and, and some of the, the hiring challenges that, that we've experienced over the last several quarters? Yeah, there was a period in there when COVID first hit that we did take a pause and a step back, right? Just not knowing what was going to happen with the industry and um, such. But yeah, since then, we have picked it back up and um, mindful about the change that, right, that you do to the frontline teams and, and figuring out the appropriate timelines and such. But we are still continuing with it. Yeah. You know, I've been in the mobile technology business for over 20 years. And I've noticed as different industries have ebbed and flowed through different economies, I, I came to the conclusion that companies need 
technology on the front lines when things are going well because they want to improve efficiency and things like that. But they really need technology on the front lines when things aren't going so well. It actually takes those problems and kind of that they were maybe thinking about investing in technology to solve for, and it just exacerbates those problems. And I think what we've experienced over the last two years now has really been a great example of that. Maybe some of those ideas that have been kind of sitting on the sidelines, uh, ideas that hadn't been maybe fully nurtured through yet, uh, now get pushed front and center. And it's like, we, we can't not do this now. We have to do this because we're short-staffed and we have to close some of the gaps that we have in the business. And so it's, it creates a challenge for folks like you and, and for the men and women on the front lines because in the worst of all times, perhaps, they have to absorb a whole lot of change. But we also know that they can't survive. We can't survive as organizations unless we introduce that change so that we can be successful on the backside of it. Yeah. And even you look at that from an onboarding standpoint, right? That That's the number one thing is you're bringing in so many people and the length of service that people may stick around to, you know, maybe it's, you know, two out of the 10 you hire <laughs> end right. up passing and continuing on. And, and so even leveraging technology, what may have take some business knowledge or you needed to pull someone off from doing different work, you can now leverage the technology to kind of help the individual move forward too. So yeah, I mean, it definitely, it's the twofold there of yeah. maybe change for the individual that's been there for that length of time, a little bit to learn it, but being able to bring more people on faster. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Okay. We have uh, a whole bunch of things we need to talk about, but I'm going to pause right now talking about, um, you know, change management and frontline innovation. And we're going to take a couple of steps back and I'd like the audience to get to know you a little bit better and understand your background and uh, really just kind of get a better sense for the path that led you to the role that you had today. So I always want to let the guests decide how far back into their past they'd like to go to tell us a story. But if you want to go all the way back to schooling and things like that, we'd just love to understand how you ended up in this role. Yeah, perfect. So I um, actually have a degree in information systems um, with a specialty in database management. Excellent. <laughs> um, and so I started with Gordon Food Service in the IT department as an intern um, in the business intelligence team and moved over to our warehouse management application development team and and held a few different roles within the IT department. Specifically within the warehouse management um, team, I helped with rolling out software technology, um, working with vendors and our internal employees to make sure that we're streamlining some of those changes or if they were having issues with connectivity or what whatnot, um, helping to just be that kind of conduit between IT and the business. Um, and then from there, had a few other roles being a team manager of our endpoint collaboration space. And then uh, we launched a new team to help with a larger transformation program um, within the company. And so that is where I took on the role of the business change manager. So a little bit of that first step outside of the IT department um, and it's a little bit of a step in both their feet in both departments, but um, really wanted to learn as any leader going in, we, when we talk about technology, 
the, it's a rapid pace of change. And I wanted to be able to understand from the ground up of how to really manage change and all of the steps in the process that it um, pertains. So that was what drew, drew me over to this role. You know, everyone that has a technical background in IT, not everyone makes the transition over to thinking more about or involving themselves more in the human adoption side of that technology. What was it that drew you to that part? I mean, you, you talked earlier about how you had that kind of role where you were sitting between the business and NIT, but what was it that made you more aware of or more interested in kind of solving, you know, the, the human change aspects of things? Yeah, I think it's really comes down to a core piece of, of change, right? <laughs> of We can build whatever technology we want. Um, but if the, if it doesn't meet the end user's need, or if they're not ready for it, um, mentally, then, then that technology will fail and be shelved and, and not used. And so it really was just that interest of trying to figure out what is that balance and how, how do you figure out that sweet spot of being able to try and keep that pace of being able to evolve and grow technology with that important level layer in there of, um, adoption. Yeah, that's good. We need some people that have the technical background to also make that leap over to, I don't want to say the other side, it it shouldn't be like it's on some other side of the fence, but it is a different way of looking at it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, when I made the change, I was like, Oh man, am I, I'm leaving the IT department (laughs) and it's that discomfort of it but really like you're saying it's it's a matter of keeping the i mean it's just taking that and carrying it forward right you're yeah. never i don't know that you ever really leave the that space behind right yeah and so i guess that's you know a, a big part of what we focus on in the show is that the the ones and zeros can be passing through the networks exactly the way that they're supposed to the technology can work exactly as it was designed and implemented but if the people on the other end of that are not interacting with the technology the way that it was intended, then they can't be successful and nor can the solution, right? And so I know it it sounds obvious to the people that we have on this podcast, but it's not always obvious to, you know, our colleagues in the organizations that we're, we're trying to work with who say, hey, the, the system works, right? The network works, the devices work. But if the humans aren't interacting with it correctly, then we still have a problem. And so it's it's great that folks like you have, uh, you know, steered yourself into a position where you can now help ensure adoption and, uh, you know, deal with the challenges associated with that. Yeah, definitely. You, you shared something with me that I thought was really interesting about your organization. And I'd like us to, to kind of share that with the audience. You, you talked a little bit about the, the culture of Gordon Food Service and, um, a little bit about the family. I, I don't want to spoil the story, but so why, why don't you share a little bit uh, about that with us? Because I, I think it'll really help give everybody some perspective about how maybe you could be empowered and enabled to to go into the role and um, you know the way that you have to support change. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So the topic came up because we were discussing. My husband actually works for Gordon Food Service and um, is a high low driver in one of the warehouses, and so quite often. You know, I'm hearing his frontline experience regularly and, you know, from my warehouse management space um, experience, I was working a lot with his 
peers and team and such. And so it was a nice connection there. And so we were talking about how, you know, you've had many people with that background. And what I was saying about Gordon Food Services that's nice is um, it's actually ingrained in the culture. And we have um, from a Gordon family, they're still running and own the company. It's privately held by the family. And um, one thing that's nice about their culture from a family standpoint is that you have to start at these frontline positions and continue to get that experience. And then you go to the next level. It's not that they're just right into the board or the CEO seat. You know, you have to have that experience. And that's part of the, I guess, rules, you would say, of the family. Yeah. If they do want to be a part of the, the organization, they want people to understand that, especially for the frontline um, employees, we wouldn't be able, we wouldn't be a company without them. Um, we wouldn't be able to do what we are set here to do um, and to serve those individuals. So I appreciate, and I think even we see that even internally, we do have a lot of that, you know, internal promotions. And so even when you look at just um, like myself, I mean, I wasn't necessarily at the front line, but you look at people in the supply chain area or sales, you know, some of them have been warehouse sales and then have, you know, continued to evolve and grow their career within the company for two different roles. I think that's a great story. And I really appreciate you sharing. There was actually two, two stories tucked in there, both that your husband, you know, works in, in the organization uh, in a role potentially impacted by some of the changes that you might be implementing. So that's interesting. Yeah. And, and also just that the, the Gordon family places such a, a high emphasis on the culture that, you know, even family members that are coming into the business really have to kind of traverse, you know, a, a whole series of roles inside the organization. And I think that's, it, it's fantastic and, and really something to, in some ways that we should probably really encourage even non-family members <laughs> to, yeah. that come into an organization, because I have been a part of a lot of conference room conversations at headquarters and in different organizations where we're talking about implementing change in the front line. And sometimes some of those people, uh, not have they only not experienced those roles, that's that's okay, but they they haven't necessarily taken the time to go spend a couple of days you know, in the life of the roles that they're going to be impacting. And I, I think that that is a critical difference between success and failure in digital transformation initiatives on the front line. The people that are most successful have taken the time to go out and, and really understand uh, a, a day in th the life. In fact, another podcast guest that, that the episode just went live, Sydney was talking about even just seeing seasonal changes. She works in an industry where uh, the frontline workers are working outdoors. And so the tools and the clothing and the environment are different in the spring and summer than they might be in the fall and winter, depending on where they are. And even things like that, just bringing that observation back to the conference rooms so that you can make better decisions about how to support them, I, I think is, um, you know, profoundly important. Yeah, I, we also do with new employees kind of these um, ride alongs similarly so that so I've done a ride along with the driver and helped to deliver cases. And I'll tell you, I've never been so sore the next day. I bet. <laughs> But, you know, it's just the pace that they're moving, jumping in and out of that, the trailer and, um, you know, even think about from the freezer standpoint, moving that dolly around. And yeah, I mean, it was just being able to, like you said, you think about the different weather elements and such with that. Um, 
yeah. But I think that that's what I've grown up with the company is, you know, if we're going live with the new warehouse, you're out there picking cases if we need to get the cases out. It right. doesn't matter your role or experience, you know, we're all jumping in to make sure that we're, you know, at the end of the day, getting that, that customer served. So it yeah. is a great experience. It's fantastic. Those are some really great examples. So thank, thanks for sharing those. So let's, let's talk about kind of going back to what we, we started the conversation about the, the challenges facing the frontline workforce. And I'm always kind of fascinated with different perspectives in that, you know, you talked about the challenges that they're facing right now because they're short staffed. And a lot of those folks are having to, to pick up, you know, a lot of additional work just to keep things moving. If we were to sit down and, and talk with a bunch of the, the men and women on the front lines and maybe include your husband in that conversation, what would they say is the biggest challenge that they're facing? Would they say the same thing or do they have a different perspective? Do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I know that that's the most common that I hear from my husband. Yeah. He's frustrated <laughs> um, because there's not enough people to do the work right now. Yeah. I mean, he's been with the company over, I think over 20 years now um, and has never seen it at the level that it's at. I mean, yeah. so he's even, you know, a high load driver, but he quite often has to go and help support selectors, you know, in certain cases too, to be able to, again, like meet the needs of the customers. So their goal, our goal is always to not have, you know, the trailer, like his goal is to not have the trailers leave late. And so to be able to get the cases and, and have that routine going. Um, yeah, it's just a matter of, and typically in Grand Rapids area where our headquarters is, you know, we have a pretty good presence here and known for the culture of the organization. So typically it's not even uh, an area where you have an issue from a staffing standpoint. Um, and, and so I think that's where even more so it's been something that he's been feeling because it's not an issue that's been a problem in this area in the past. Interesting. Interesting. So let's talk about um, some of the, the digital transformation initiatives that have, have gone on inside your organization. What are some of the, the things that you have noticed that seem to work really well that, that have helped ensure success for uh, a technology implementation inside your organization? Yeah, I think one of the big pieces would be leadership um, support. Right. I think it really comes down to and it's not just our senior leaders. When we think about that, it really comes down to your direct manager. Um, and I think that goes to people that are at desk jobs, but also to, you know, to the frontline teams, too. Um, again, you know, you look at my husband's experience of the same change being pushed out. And even that varies um, of what the leader is communicating down. And so really, I think it comes back to, again, what we were talking about earlier is that people perspective to that of, again, we can have the best goals, we can tie the value to that and everything, but it really comes down to, are we getting people to understand the why and, and support that and carry it forward? So tell me about that a little bit. Uh, so I'd like to just dig into the getting people to understand the why part a little bit, because I really think that that is something that is 
uh, overlooked, not by change management practitioners who've really studied this practice, (laughs) um, but maybe just by large companies in general, right? So what's some of the advice that you can share about what works? Because I I feel like just to be devil's advocate, like, okay, so we tell them that this is going to, you know, improve efficiency, improve the effectiveness, you know, improve the customer experience, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Yeah. How do you affect, (laughs) I I know we all care about that, but do they really care? And in really kind of answering the what's in it for them? Yeah, I think that's exactly it is the what's in it for them. So it's like, here's, here's the why behind it from an organization standpoint, but really coming down then and making it personal. And so um, what, what we're starting to do with different projects is that persona a little bit, right? So you think about a warehouse selector, let's think about what are those things that make them tick? What are those things that you know, really resonate with them of their day-to-day activities? And how do we connect this um, initiative to something that would improve their life or in turn help them understand how they're carrying it forward for a customer improvement? So really trying to take it down to that level of maybe it's not an individual necessarily, but a role or maybe it is a a team or a department. However, we can take it at that lower level to help connect those those dots and how they're carrying this forward. Have you had any surprises when you've gone through that exercise to really think through those personas a little bit? Have there been any surprises where maybe you uncovered something that you didn't expect about what was important to them? Yeah. Or, um, not understanding the, exactly how their role worked. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's where it again has come back to that key communication. And so, um, just drawing that relationship with different people so that, I quite often will take some of those personas in the case and, and bring it to some um, individuals that I have relationships with and kind of cross check it with them first yeah. before carrying it forward. Because yeah, I'll realize that, that even within the same company, the terminology I'm using is not what they call it. Or, um, you know, I, I missed a whole gap of what they, a key element to their job. Um, and so, yeah, it's been very eye-opening having some more of those direct conversations to, to really start kind of following that needle through. I feel like there's more to the story based on your facial expressions. Can you share <laughs> any more uh, specifics with us? I No, I don't really have. It's just we're just specifically going through it right now with the large transformation. And okay. so, um, yeah, I feel like it's more about as the chain, I would put it a little bit of, it's more as the change starts to become more real to different departments and individuals. Um, there start, there just continues to be more information and details that comes out. Right. So I may have had three conversations leading up to it, developed this persona and this, this way of having the conversation of how to make that personal change to them. Um, and really, when I go then to show it to them and say, okay, let's go and, and carry this forward to the department. And they're like, oh, but but what is this? What does this even mean? <laughs> and, you know, we use this technology um, to do, to look at financials or to do different report running. And, 
and stuff and to know our level of success and you're not referencing that there. So it's more of just this, I think it comes back to, again, the change, right? Is we'll, we'll build the technology to do all these things, but that's a little bit of being able to um, respond quickly yeah. is because there are always these, there's always more to uncover. And I think that that's, you know, at the end of the day, technology and where we have to continue to be able to be agile and constantly moving is because no matter how many conversations you have, there's always that needle's always moving. Right. You just mentioned agile and this is something that's come up a lot on the show in that we, those of us that are involved in building technology solutions, we're very familiar with the term agile, both just in the term agile to be more nimble, but also the, the more formal term of agile software development methodology and things like that. And the idea of releasing software more regularly. Mm-hmm. And so it comes up a bunch on the show, which is, Hey, that's great from an efficiency standpoint for the dev team. And it's great that we're rolling out more products, but man, we're putting a big burden on all of the people on the, the receiving end of that. What's your thought uh, about that? And, and has Gordon experienced any of the, the challenges there uh, with trying to increase the iteration of software development, but then trying to manage through the, the absorption of change on the other side? Yeah, so we've actually adopted um, SAFE, so that scaled agile framework. Um, and so we've started doing that. And that's been great, really bringing together the business and IT even more closely so that there's a lot more of that conversation. And it is more of that, you know, every, I'll just say like every three months that there's an idea of a cut of a release that maybe could go to production, maybe not, right? Um, but at least there's this change here. And, but I would say that there's a little bit of a balance. There are some teams that are doing some more of that um, rapid deploy of things, but it is a little bit more of that risk mitigation or that risk factor that comes in, right? Of if I make this change, it's a UI change, doesn't really change too much of the end user's process. It's a very, you know, insignificant thing, but a request that we've had come in to do where there's others where, no, this is a complete overhaul of this process. And so therefore the communication and the change process. So it's kind of that curve that we follow with it. Um, And there's no perfect science with it. Right. And with any change, there's risk that you can create a production issue, but it's a matter of being able to to do that common term, right? Of fail, if we're going to fail, we'll fail fast and roll it back and, and be right. able to move it forward. So we're definitely doing the fast um, deployment. It's, but with that risk. Factor. Yeah, it, it, it seems like this is um, maybe a bigger deal now than ever before. And I've, I've learned a term from other podcast guests of uh, just change saturation. And I, I was immediately sensitive to that as I heard the term. I was like, of course, that makes sense. You know, all the people in the mix, all of us, not just frontline workers, but all of us are dealing with so much change over the last two years that to also disrupt that at the same time as doing, you know, uh, by doing a bunch of digital transformation initiatives, it, it can be certainly overwhelming. And so to have some mechanism to, you know, kind of measure that and make sure that we're just not inundating them with so much change that they can't be successful, I think is, uh, is the practice that you're speaking of. And it's, it's great that you're very deliberate about that. 
Yeah, I think that even comes back to these different departments having different strategies too. And, and again, the, the safe um, methodology has helped us to be able to bring some of those together and, and create those conversations across teams a little bit more so that we have more visibility into, oh, hey, they're saying that they're going to go live with this customer facing application there, but hey, we were going to change their invoicing process 30 days later, like how could we maybe part? And so it creates those conversations, which ideally, yes, it may put more change at one time, but from an end user perspective, it's one package, one change you're giving them. And so ideally it's that, that small piece of the brain <laughs> that we all have to accept change. Yeah. Um, ideally it's, you know, not as much of that red flag, <laughs> red yeah. light flashing for them. For folks that may not be familiar with SAFE, can, can you just give us a quick uh, overview of, of what that's all about and, and how you chose to, or why maybe you chose to implement it? Yeah, quick overview of SAFE. <laughs> it doesn't have to be fast. You could take as long as you'd like to describe it. <laughs> um, so if we think about Agile, it, you know, usually it's a team that's working on one product line. Um, and what we had is we had this overarching program that had that impacted let's just say 10 teams 10 development teams that needed to make these changes and while they were all making them and moving forward what we were missing is they weren't necessarily talking to each other to align hey i need this i need this information from you so that i can then do my development and get this out into production on time so there wasn't a lot of that backing up piece um, and having some of those more deliberate conversations. So what Scaled Agile brings to you together is each team will go and do their, their planning for 10 weeks or whatever um, amount of time we set it out for. Um, and, and then you go in front of the group and you end up like presenting what your plan is. And then there's this big, what's called a program, I think it's program PI board, but program iteration, I believe it is, um, board where you actually have like strings going from one team dependency to another team dependency. And the goal is to make sure that those strings aren't going in the opposite direction, right? Like that, that you're not trying to have this done and the, and the team that you need it done from is, is planning to do it two weeks later than what you need them. Right. So it's a lot of that visibility that it created for us. And also, like I mentioned, um, it really brought together that a business, what's a product owner, um, but a business person owning that technology and those changes to then work with the development team so that they're getting that specific feedback. So, hey, product owner, you're asking for this, I need to understand a little bit more of, of what to find success for that feature, that requirement that you're giving me. And that product owner would then carry that forward of having, maybe going to the warehouse team and asking them specifically to a council of, you know, okay, you're asking for this or whatever, tell me more, tell me about how you want this to work in your day in the life. So it's just, I really view it as and a lot of the organization would say, um, it's really just created a lot of that transparency and conversation that was missing. 
That's, that's really a fantastic overview. Thanks for sharing that. Are, are those sessions being done face-to-face in a conference room when you talked about connecting the strings to the board? Is- so, um, you know, COVID obviously changed that for us, but it was yeah. typically like, even if you were virtual, we flew in a lot of people to make sure that, you know, everyone was here, clear your schedule, two days event. We're um, going to grind this thing out. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, even our CEO would come view and be a part of the conversation and, and hear the presentation. So, I mean, we definitely from top leadership down, there was, um, this is our priority to have figured out. Um, and now we're obviously leveraging virtual technology and, and breakout rooms and, I would say it's it's different um, of the mm-hmm. ways, but luckily with video and and we're a, a Google shop, so we have a lot of those different technologies that we're able to leverage and collaborate across work streams. So that's good. Are there any tools specific to how you manage those sessions that are worth sharing with the audience, or is it just Google Docs and Google Sheets and things like that? But are, have you found anything else that actually helps you? Um, managed to that framework? The only, so like you said, Google Docs, Google um, Sheets, Mm -hmm. slides, they're leveraging like images and stuff to um, identify different virtual tables. So you can go click on the table and it will launch you into their um, Google Meet video that may be doing. Um, But the only other thing I would say is we're leveraging a tool that they have called Jamboard. Okay. And it's a digital whiteboard. And um, what's nice about it is the the program board at the end of the day was a lot of sticky notes, like I said, but then the strings. And so how do you how do you make that virtual? Um, and so leveraging the Jamboard, there's digital sticky notes that you can do, um, and then you can draw lines and, and such. So that's worked really well for us to be able to digitally um, have that version available. And hopefully that we continue to use that even when we are in person. Cause I think for, you know, we're a North American company and I think people being able to log on and view those boards at any time, no matter where they are. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. The, the one thing just, I'm being a bit of a devil's advocate. Um, but the one thing that I, felt like I was hearing when you were talking about safe was it sounded awfully familiar to kind of the traditional waterfall methodology where we spent a lot of time on the front end doing a lot of planning. So it it, it sounds like maybe it's kind of somewhere in the middle where you are committing to maybe doing a little bit more proactive planning and risk mitigation on the front end versus maybe more traditional shorter sprints, agile. Is that a good way to describe it? Is it kind of a hybrid somewhere in the middle or did I maybe miss that part? Yeah, I would say my experience has been so agile has been a little bit harder for leadership and program management to get behind, right? Because they need to talk about budgets and and plan and such. So waterfall is more of the leadership side. And so I do think it's brought some of that together. Um, But while you are committing, so what it is, is at the end of the day, you're committing to this 10 week chunk of work. Um, But what I think it's different than waterfall is that you are committing to how things are slotted within the first two weeks. The rest of the stuff, you may have some pieces in there, 
but you're meeting weekly and continuing to evolve and build that out. And, and so if things shift, that's not a failure necessarily. That's the process working itself out. Right. Um, and so at the end of the day, what you're committing to is your objectives and the development team gets a vote that they agree that they can meet those objectives at the end of the day. And you're even at the, um, you don't only vote for your team, but then you also vote as an overall, what's called the train, but all the cross train, cross teams in that area and voting that, hey, I, I agree that you're gonna meet your objectives too. Or no, I don't have confidence because I, I don't think you thought about this dependency or this complexity coming in. And so it also creates kind of that peer alignment. I love so, that. So let's vet that stuff out before we get into development. Maybe, maybe I've misunderstood something and you really do have this under control more than it seems from the outside. Exactly. Uh, or maybe I've uncovered something that helps you realize that maybe you're a little overconfident, but either way, let's vet that out a little bit before we get into the sprint. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think it's a little bit of that waterfall in there, but I think it's at a little, it's more for the airing on that side of the supporting the development team. Um, that I think that's the difference is the development team really gets to have a big say in yeah. what they're committing to. Yeah, that's excellent. And so I appreciate you walking us through that. And um, I'm sure a lot of our audience will, uh, will be going to look that up right now because I haven't really <laughs> talked. I haven't heard a lot of folks talking about that. And it, it does sound like it, it does kind of sit in the middle between those scenarios. And, you know, I, in my day job, uh, I am one of the leaders of a software company and we struggle with that same thing, right? We're, we're trying to be very agile, but we're also looking at budgets and, and looking at long-term strategy. And um, it, it's, it's challenging at times to, to balance both. And I can imagine in an organization the size of yours, that challenge just gets exponentially more difficult. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Are, are there things about any experiences maybe from a, a change management standpoint that you would say maybe didn't go quite as well, or maybe had, uh, you, you took away a lesson learned of, of something that you wouldn't necessarily want to do again. Anything stand out in your mind? Oh, there's a big list. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pick one that you can share with the audience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One um, one thing that I know we talked about in the the pre conversation too, but is we rolled out a new uh, not new, but we are working through with the warehouse team on a handheld technology, and all of a sudden they came to us and said, "It's not working in these aisles," and I'm like, "Okay, you know, again, I'm sitting at the headquarters; they're they're in the warehouse. So I'm like." Did you try this? Did you try that? I'm working with the network team of they're narrowing it down to these aisles. What are the access points saying? Like, let's <laughs> dig into this a little bit more. And, and when we talk about, you know, earlier being on the ground floor being so critical, um, I walked over there and, you know, they assured me nothing's changed. I walk into those aisles and look up and they have chain link fencing lining the aisles and you know um every time they reached their handheld into the the bay their network dropped amazing 
yeah. <laughs> so I would think, you know, that's one thing where it's not necessarily a technology change that caused the problem, but it, it was the varying pieces of being able to, again, troubleshoot of what the physical changes combined with technology that can, that can cause some of those issues. Yeah, it's still science. That one may be more physics than technology, yeah. I guess, necessarily, <laughs> but it's still physics, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. then another example I would say, too, is the um, we had users come to us and say that they wanted to have, you know, a new phone solution um, for solving some business problems. And, and so working with them, we did you know, the typical piece, right? We have the one person we're working with. Here's the requirements that we need. Okay, let's look at the technology. You do that, the request for proposal process, right? And we start demoing it, just following through the different pieces. And we had lots of conversations. We did the evaluation period, had people try it out, made our selection and went forward. And then we start hearing from tons of people on this on this new solution that it wasn't working you know here's this problem here's that problem and and I would say again that was one of those where it just showed the importance of going to do a sit with when you're rolling out some of these things and really having end user conversations I don't think in that pro project that we had enough end user conversations we were just using our one point person to have those conversations and um, had we gone to sit with the teams, we would be able to see that it increased their clicks 10 times. And, you know, it was dropping calls and the audio quality for certain people weren't, it wasn't there. And so when you're talking to an external customer and it's staticky, right? Like they're going to drop the call. And <laughs> yeah. so I think that would be the other example of a, a failed technology that I would say um, definitely that lesson learned of, again, that employee or individual conversation being so critical. Yeah, and one of the things I think you're saying there uh, is essentially to have to, you know, kind of increase the sample size of the people that we talk to. And there's a balancing act in an organization with thousands of people. You can't actually go talk to all many thousands of them, but you can't also talk to one. And so I guess the really the, the trick is finding that balance between what is the right number of people to go engage in this conversation so that we get a large enough sample size to be well-informed and make a smart decision, and um, but, but not just take up so much of everybody's time and our time trying to go do that research that, you know, it becomes prohibitive. Absolutely. And it even comes back to the different, again, where you were saying like the, the weather could change, yeah. <laughs> you know, employees experience. Well, even you think about the for us, it's like the divisions. We could be talking to someone in the north and the south. And if you're only talking to those, their customers might have different needs than people in the south or in Canada. Yeah. Um, so even including the, the variations there. Yeah. So this conversation, I have to give a shout out to another um, Frontline Innovators guest and a friend of ours, Sherry Christofferson, who runs a company that actually uh, focuses exactly on this challenge of, she has a monitoring solution that actually helps evaluate 
and provide feedback for the user experience for frontline applications like those that we're talking about. And uh, so she is super hypersensitive to these exact types of circumstances, uh, so much so that they created a technology solution to help evaluate that user experience. Because a lot of times, you know, the system is up and running, the network is up and running, the devices work the way that they're supposed to. But for some reason, the combination of all those parts and pieces together are delivering an experience to the user that's not acceptable. And unfortunately, a lot of times, people in your role don't get the call that you got, which is, Hey, this stuff's not working since yeah. we put in the chain link fence. Right. Um, a lot of times they don't get the call. And what we see is a lot of end users start building workarounds and just figuring out another way to get the job done, which is commendable. That's awesome. But sometimes if we don't get the feedback then, and, and really understand that things aren't going the way that they planned, then shame on you know us for, for not asking more questions and making sure that it's more stable. So yeah. Uh, if anybody's curious about Sherry, you can go back and look at the episode. Uh, I don't remember what episode number it was, but um, she's she's an active participant and uh, we can put you in touch with her if you're interested in learning more about that. So, Danielle, we're as I prepared you for time flies in these conversations, yeah. at least it has for <laughs> me. Um, we are kind of coming up close to the end here, but I'm, I'm curious to get your take on what is your favorite part, maybe your least favorite part about working around technology. Yeah, I think my favorite part we've kind of been touching on a little bit too is just the ability for technology to come in and help solve business problems. I'd say that's one of my passions is to hear a business problem and to to figure out how we can solve it. And maybe it's not technology, but quite often it is Mm -hmm. um, ways that whether we're evolving technology that we already have or adding in something new, but I would say that's one of the pieces that I love is the options, the endless options that technology is giving us for doing that. Yeah. Anything that is not your favorite? (laughs) And not my favorite would be the flip side of that is you can do so much with technology, but it really does come, come down to the complexities of, you know, that end user um, and really getting it right and that technology and the complexities around it um i think it just adds in those layers of we can do everything right like that example of that phone system right we can do everything quote unquote right to try and get that rolled out and solve a business need but there's so many of those complexity layers of just that um of people complexity (laughs) Um, and, and just can make that technology fail too. Yeah. That, I find that frustrating. Um, probably almost more in my personal life, you know, video conferencing and, and we've got laptops and screens here and we've got special cables and now every laptop needs a different cable to connect to, <laughs> you know, the webcams and all this other stuff. And it's like, I, I am a tech geek. I love this stuff. I just can't get enough of it. But then there are some times when you just want to plug things together and just have them work. And for some reason they don't. And so that can be terribly frustrating. And so that, that gets exacerbated when we're talking about thousands of users in the field and some enterprise solution that we feel like we've got every T crossed and every I dotted, and then it gets out into the field. And and just in this, you know, in the examples that you shared for some reason or another, it's just not working the way that it was expected. And so that's, it's very frustrating to see the vision and to know what's possible and then have to, you know, to, to troubleshoot on that journey. Um, so I, I definitely feel your pain there. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been a fantastic conversation and um, I really appreciate your, your time today. I, I do want to give a, a special shout out to the folks at Gordon Foods. Thank you for sharing those stories. Um, I was really fascinated to hear about the culture inside Gordon and I, I wish more companies would take on um, the challenge of, of really building a culture that really um, just kind of thinks of the, the entire organization at all levels and in all roles as, as one, one, the, the way that I, I heard you describe that for Gordon. So I think that's pretty neat. And I appreciate you sharing that story. Um, it says a lot about the company and, and obviously about why you've stayed for, uh, for as long as you have there. So that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Last thing I want to do is uh, invite you to participate uh, in a special group that we have. So we um, have a group called Frontline Innovators Council. The fee for entry is spending 45 minutes or so with me or Gene on a <laughs> podcast, and you have now uh, paid your dues. And so uh, today we will extend an invitation to you to come uh, and participate in that group. It's a private group that we have on LinkedIn, where we basically take the conversations that we're having here on the podcast and uh, continue them forward with a group of, of other folks uh, across a variety of other industries that are solving very similar challenges with frontline workers. And uh, this month, January, when we're recording this, uh, we're actually about to start kicking off a, uh, a monthly session where all of the podcast guests will be uh, kind of presenting special topics. Um, you don't know this yet, but I've already volunteered you for one because you brought up uh, <laughs> safe earlier and I think you're going to be our designated uh, safe presenter. <laughs> so we, we can talk offline and see if you'll say yes to that. Um, but really look forward to introducing you to, uh, to the rest of the team members and getting you to be a part of that conversation. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Okay, so we need to wrap it up there, everybody. Um, I'm certain that uh, you have found this conversational as enjoyable as I have. Um, if I'm right on that, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone else you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. We're always looking for more guests um, with great stories to share on Frontline Innovators. So please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story or theirs. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Thanks again, Danielle. Thank you.